This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we shall love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's Good News. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. I'm going to break it down. It says, Now when Sanballat and Tamiah and Geshem the Arab, you guys should be familiar with those names at this time, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not, not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakephirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says, says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I went to him saying, No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God... Strengthen my hands. Where it says that all they really need to do was put the, the gate and build those last doors, that means that this job is pretty much in the 90 percentile, 90, 90, 90 percentages of being complete. It's almost done. So that is why you see these enemies putting such a strong emphasis on trying to stop it. These gates are about to, you know, you got the wall built, you got that protection. Most of the wall is built, but then you have these gates. And once that is done, the job, the task is done. So they really want to stop Nehemiah at this time. Jaden, if you could click. I didn't bring my clicker, sorry. Uh, Jaden, uh, so they invited Nehemiah to the plain of Ono. I, I just think it's funny because he shouldn't go. So it's like, oh, no, it's just like a, it's kind of funny to me. But they invite him, and it's like a 30-mile trip to this plain. Uh, this plane can sometimes, back in that time, kind of be a, a place of this kind of peace. It's, it's pretty, pretty area. I was doing some research. Some people back then thought of it as like a vacation spot. I even heard. So my question is, you're hearing what they're saying. A lot of us, we probably read the book too. It doesn't make sense for, doesn't make sense for him to go. Would you go? Like these are enemies. All of a sudden they want to meet with you, right? But think about Nehemiah at this time. He's going through it. He's actually in it. So what does he need to figure out what's the right choice? Should he go meet with them? The work's almost done. Maybe they just want to apologize. It sounded, to some people it might sound like, hey, they're trying to make peace. They're trying to meet me in this area. But Nehemiah had what we call very, a very important word. He had discernment. He had discernment. You guys know what discernment is? Discernment is the ability to judge as God judged and to think rightly about things. 
uh, we're going to get a little bit more into, into discernment. But one thing that you need to see is that Nehemiah saw past the exterior of the invite, and he said no. He said no. If you think about it, it's a neutral site, but he saw no reason to meet with them. And he gives them a reason. He says, why? He says, why, why should the work stop now? Why do they want to meet now? So he's able to think and he's able to discern what to do. See, sometimes having discernment as a believer actually is portrayed by people as being negative. You guys know what I'm talking about? Someone suggests something to you and it sounds great and all to, as they're saying it. But as you kind of think about it, there might be one word or one phrase or one thing wrong in what they're saying. And you're kind of like thinking about it and you just say, something's off about that. I remember there's this funny movie, I forgot the name of it, but I know Eddie Murphy was, and he was acting as a preacher in there. And in the middle of saying some good things, he's actually a bad guy, but he was preaching. So in the middle of saying some good things, he actually yells out in like a real gospel voice, evil is good. And you know, the audience is so riled up, they're like, yeah, evil, evil is good. You know what I mean? He's like, what? So I think that a lot of times when we try to use discernment and think about what's actually going to happen and how this affects the people of God, we can be seen as negative or contrarian. But Nehemiah doesn't see this as a good thing. He, he sees this as something wrong. And with this, without having discernment, Nehemiah could have took an invitation to something that was going to be very evil and even life-threatening. I don't know about you all, maybe it's me growing up in the hood, but I think that's a setup. Like they're going to try to kill him, right? Some of you all are like, he shouldn't go. You knew that already, right? Uh, but Nehemiah, you know, he, he's in a political position. He's a governor. Maybe this is a way to get in with these people that have been against him, right? So he did have to have discernment to make this decision. You guys know, I don't know if you guys ever watched uh, scary movies or, or, or you see these movies that maybe have like a big party. And, you know, when, when people go into these scary movies, most of the time, a lot of us are really looking at each other and kind of saying, man, that person's dumb. You know what I mean? Why are they going to, they going to camp out in the woods? You look at the leader, and you're like, the leader looked like a killer. They, all these people are going to die, right? Sometimes you, uh, you know, I remember in, in high school, I, w- I, wasn't, I wasn't very intelligent with the, with the new stuff when I went to Lane Tech, because it was different over there. So people would say, hey, Carlos, we're, we're having a party. I'm like, oh, great, I love parties. And they were like, yes, yeah, it's called a daytime. And I said, oh, okay, so we're talking Saturday. Oh, man, I go to church on Sunday. They said, no, 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 it's tomorrow. I said, hold up, today, Monday, on a Tuesday? And they were like, yeah, what you do is you just don't come to school. You come to our house. And I was just like, oh, but won't we get in trouble? They said, you're getting good grades. What you worried about? And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. Maybe I could... I can could, I could, I could miss a day, no problem. Uh, so what goes on at this party? Like, what are we going to do? We're going to play video games? What are we going to do? They're like, oh, no. And they start telling me all this bad stuff that was going to happen at the party. And some of us would say, I'm going to be discerning. I'm going to go to the party, see how bad it is, and make a decision. No, but the way discernment works is you get to know stuff almost before. You get to know stuff almost before. And you get to say, I don't even think I need to, first of all, miss class or go to this party. Because I know something naughty or something bad can happen there. 
And so the sermon almost gives you like an inside peek into what's going on in this world. And as Christians, God often gives us discernment. And when we're in the world, sometimes that discernment can seem mean or not right or judgmental. But I want you all to know, when that still small voice is speaking to you, you must listen. You must listen. Dayton, if you could click the next slide. This is a quote I got from Sinclair Ferguson. And it says, True discernment means not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent, and the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between the good and the better, and even between the better and the best. You guys get that? Sometimes discernment isn't necessarily against something that's good. It's, it's about what's picking the best thing to do. You know, when you make a decision of where to live, there's a lot of places you can live and it would be a good choice. But what's the best choice to live? Where's the best place to live for the glory of God, for God to use you? There's a lot of places you can work. There's a lot of jobs you can do. But how do you discern what's the primary place you should be focusing on and working on, right? The choices we get to make during the day. God gives discernment. Nehemiah had discernment. You all know that discernment is actually a spiritual gift as well. Some people have the gift of discernment. And we can glean and we can learn from those people. So Nehemiah gives this rationale. He kept the main thing, the main thing. He focused on what God was doing and why God had brought him there. Are we focusing on what God has brought us to? He did not save us just for fire insurance, right? He saved us two good works. He saved us. We're here for a reason. So Nehemiah understood why he was there and focused on that. That was his discernment. One thing that we all need to do is we need to realize that discernment comes by being, by being influenced by the Word of God. You see, when you study the Word of God, when you pray the Word of God, when you're speaking to God, you begin to think the way God thinks. His words just kind of penetrate your heart and, and stay in your mind. And they help you to battle sin. And they help you to make right decisions. And so if you're hoping to have this discernment without a Bible in your hand or listening to a Bible, it's just not going to happen. I'll just give you the, I'll give you the, short, the short version. So reading God's word, these historical narratives that give us examples, the commands that he gives us, the life of Jesus that's portrayed, all of that gives us the opportunity to have spiritual discernment. Verses 5 through 9, there's a letter. And I like the way uh, it's kind of written. The letter says, it is reported. You guys know what it, it is reported means? It means so-and-so says, so-and-so says. So when you were talking about discernment, we want to focus on the word of God, which is strong and fixed and unalterable. It's the word of God. But at the same time, we want to ignore the hearsay. So-and-so said, it is reported. And I remember when I was growing up in church, I would hear things like, you know, last week, last week, it, it felt like this in the church. And I was like, well, I was there. I, I thought it was fine. But you hear people kind of say things. And when they say it, oftentimes it's what they think. But you hear people say, I've been hearing people say. Have you guys heard, seen that? But that's the tactic people use. 
And so these guys are kind of using that tactic. And what it's called is called hearsay. All these people, in a sense, are coming after you guys. And you might hear people say stuff up to you about, did you guys hear what happened at this place? And, this, and you just listen. And maybe you don't discern that maybe I need to look at the facts and maybe do some reading. But you just kind of take what people say. So Nehemiah did not just take what they said. What he realized is all of this stuff that came out was just a flat out lie. Was a lie. And you know, some of us, we need to realize that we need to call things a lie. One of the big lies I feel is some people believe that sometimes doing a little wrong gets you to the greater good. I don't know if you guys understand what I mean by that. Sometimes we could take a couple shortcuts to get to the greater good. Nehemiah was not willing to do that. He called wrong, wrong. And I want you all to know that when you have discernment and you know God's word, you're able to call things wrong. And you need to be strong on that. Because if you waffle in your conversations with people in the world, then they don't know what you stand on. And they don't really know what to follow. And if they ever do come to the Lord and, and you're one of the people that get be a part of it, C.S. Lewis has a quote that says, how you win people is what you win them to. So you win them to like a waffling type of faith that's not sure. There are some things you can be sure on. There are some things that Nehemiah was sure on. So Nehemiah, at the end of that, he actually prays again. And we see this about him, right? As he's going through stuff, what is he doing? He's doing that quick prayer to God. And we see he does that again. Turn with me back to the scriptures in Nehemiah 6, verses 10 through 14. For this next part. It says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as, uh, such as I could go into the temple and live? I would not go it. I would not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent them, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So Nehemiah has this situation. He has the person who's saying they are a prophet. So that should have some weight, right? A person that's saying they're a prophet saying, you have people that are coming to kill you. The only place you're going to be able to hide is in the temple. And, I, you know, I'm a, we should go in the temple and you should hide in there. Now, at this time, only priests were allowed in the, in the temple. We actually have an example of that, of, some, of a consequence of someone not being a priest going to the temple. In Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah, he was not a priest and he went into the temple when he wasn't supposed to. And he had leprosy. He instantly, God gave him leprosy. So it was a big no-no. That's not something that Nehemiah was, was, was supposed to do. And Nehemiah knew his Bible. And he knew that he was not supposed to go in. 
So Nehemiah, knowing the heart of God, as it's revealed in the counsel of God's word, he had discernment. Did you guys get that? He wasn't just solid on his own. He read his Bible. He knew what the Bible said. Therefore, he's able to have discernment and stand on that. You guys, that's the personality. That's the way we need to be. We know God's word that we know where to stand and where to say no and where to be clear. And that's what he's doing right here. And notice that Shemaiah used religious talk and it sounded right. People coming to kill you, you should hide in the temple. Nobody would think you're in the temple. Kind of makes sense in a way. But Nehemiah had discernment. And he was not going to disobey God even to save his life. He was not going to disobey God even to so-called save his life. So Nehemiah stood brave against this religious deception. and his commitment to obedience, God revealed to him the heart of Shemaiah. He wasn't a prophet. Instead, he was on Sanballat's payroll. And Nehemiah turns to the Lord again in prayer and asks God to remember their evil deeds. Do you notice he doesn't fight back? He doesn't fight back physically, but he does fight back in the spiritual realm and says, God, you are just. I'm giving this to you. And that's something that we can use as well. Because it gets, it gets tiring to keep fighting back. It gets tiring when you hear things going on and you're dealing with stuff and you get, you get frustrated, you get tired. But we can always give that to the Lord. You can always just give that to the Lord. And I want you all to know, and I was going to get real serious about this part, but I decided to kind of calm down a little bit. Uh, about, a, about two weeks ago, I just had like this real, like, it was just real sad feeling uh, in, in my heart. And I don't, I'm not really like that. I'm always really happy. And so I just, I just started to, to pray. And then I went to YouTube and I just was sent, you know, I, I, I subscribe to different Christian things and stuff. So I, I get stuff sent to me all the time. But I got some stuff sent where people are talking about some of the false prophets and false prophets that are going on, prophecies that are going on right now, you know, that are going on right now. And so I was just, I was just looking at this and I was just like, wow, you know, we're studying Nehemiah and now we get introduced to a false prophet here and a false prophecy. And I just wanted to highlight for you all, and I think this is why God kind of put it on my heart, highlight to you all how false prophecy generally works. So that we can avoid it. But some of us, I would say, we think we're watching Christ, Christian TV shows or Christian videos, and they are not, they are not adhering to the Word of God. Some of it is off. And if you ask me if some of it's off, I think I'm going to turn that off. You know what I mean? I'm going to go somewhere else. Uh, you might as well be watching Disney Plus. You know, <laughs> use your time wisely than watching some of that stuff. Okay, so here's, how, here's what I mean. Most false prophets, Shemaiah as well, have a money motive. You guys see that? They're motivated by money. There are some false prophets on TV that the whole situation is a money scam. It's a whole money scam. They, they, they say, if you pay this or give this, God will do this. And I just want to let you all know that you have to, when you hear that stuff, you have to really look at what they're commenting and saying. Another thing is a lot of times false prophets try to cut religious corners. They try to cut a little bit. They kind of take a little bit away from Peter, what Peter's teaching, to kind of emphasize this one teaching. 
They take a little bit about what Jesus may be saying to emphasize this other thing. Or they take things out of context. They just grab what they want to hear. And so we need to realize that the Bible was written in different forms and different ways. And some things are prescriptive. They tell you what to do. Some things are historical. You can glean and think of the principles. But sometimes they take things that were historical in, t- in nature and then they teach them as if it's talking about you. And what that is called is called eisegesis. When you put yourself into the text. For example, David and Goliath. David and Goliath has nothing to do with you in that. You want to know what I mean by that? David was a real person. Goliath was a real person. They had a real battle. God did some amazing things through that. We look at it as a, we look at it as a history and we're amazed and that's our story. But, but when someone says you're David and your troubles in your life are Goliath, that's just not true. That wasn't written in that way. It's not an allegory. It's an actual history. When you read about World War II, you don't put yourself in it and think about the principles of it and say that's, that's your life. That's a history. And so we need to think about how the word is being used. And just because things are being said, are they being said correctly? Is it being taught correctly? And then the last thing I wanted just to read, 2 Peter 2.1, that says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You guys know I talked, I had a meeting with a pastor. This is something I've been trying to do. I've been meeting with different pastors in, in the neighborhood and around Chicago just to grow and connect, you know, want to do that, partner. There was a pastor that said that when he grew up in a certain church, that the preacher literally took the Bible and threw it on the ground and said something to the effect of God's word isn't just, isn't just everything. And they threw the, wor- threw the word down and said, God is still speaking to us now. And then they went into a time where, in a sense, there was no sermon, but they were trying to ask God to kind of speak to them directly. And asking God to speak to you and talk, that's fine, but we don't want to throw the, we don't want to throw the word of God down. You see what I'm trying to say? So there's no cut in the corners. It's God's word, yes. It's prayer, yes. But sometimes people focus more on maybe prayer and feelings or something else. Some people have an overflow on the other side where it's just the word and there's this stale type of Christianity. And so what we need to realize is that there's this whole counsel of God. And that's what we need to be masters and, and knowers of. Let's get the last part of this, Nehemiah, verses 15 through 19. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah, Shekinah, I'm sorry, the son of Arah, and his son Jehoahan, and had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. God, the wall is built, the gates are set. 52 days. 
You see how Nehemiah almost writes it kind of ho-hum? I, I, I would have had like five exclamation points or something, right? Just kind of like he believed. He knew, he knew what God was going to do. So they were able to restore those walls and the gates in 52 days. A problem that had been going on for over 100 years. Isn't that crazy? There's a lesson. There's a lesson there. Do you notice it took 52 days? And I just, because I'm a math teacher, <laughs> do you notice how long Nehemiah prayed before, when, when we first started? Four months, right? So he prayed, he prayed double the time that it actually took, and a little bit more, that it actually took for them to build the wall. I was reading uh, a pastor who said that, you know, when he became pastor, it was expected of his wife to kind of create this women's ministry uh, for, the ch- for the church they were in. And he said, you know, she said, yeah, I'll do it. He said, but I want to spend one year praying about it. And, you know, the husband was kind of like, you know, honey, I just got into this position, you know. <laughs> one year praying about it, you sure? She's like, I want to pray about it for one year. So then she prayed about it for one year, got other people, other women in the church praying about it. After that one year, every time this, this pastor's wife went up to women and said, hey, older women, I'm going to need you to tie this to this and teach the younger women. And instantly she was able to connect older women and younger women like no problem. Their calendars worked together. They started meeting and discipleship started happening that way. And it's a really successful program. And so there's, there's a lesson there with Nehemiah's prayer life and then the time that this thing, this thing gets built up. When we think about tonight's prayer service, I feel like if we really, really want change at Good News, we really want Good News to grow, we really want God to bless us and teach us more and grow spiritually, grow in attendance, grow in our ascendance, us going out as well, then we need to pray. This is the example. You know, we didn't, the, the, the elders did not choose Nehemiah on accident, right? Like we're trying to give an example that we can actually glean from and learn from. And you look at verse 16, it says, the enemies were afraid. They knew it came from God. Remember before when, when these people, this remnant of God's people had shame, when the wall was broken down, they didn't have protection. Now God is renewing them. This wall being built is a huge sense of renewal. And when this happened, the people around, it brought them down. That phrase in the Hebrew means that they kind of, their head kind of sunk down. Their head kind of sunk down. Where it says they fell greatly in their own esteem. Kind of like when you get busted out and you just go. (laughs) That's kind of like the word picture there. I want to let you all know that God can change situations in a radical way. God can change situations that seem impossible and historically bad. You ever hear when someone's encouraged, sometimes it's a young believer, and they're saying, we should do this. You always got the old believer coming around, not old as older, but you always got the old believer, the person been a believer for a while saying, you know, we tried that. You know, we tried that. You know, we did that before. It didn't work. Things like that. And it's probably historical fact it didn't work. But you know what? There's a lot of things in this story that didn't work for a long time. But this time it did work. So I'm not going to be a type of leader here, guys. When you guys mention something, I'm not going to. My first idea is if God put that in your heart and it makes sense in terms of the whole counsel of God, 
Let's pray about it. Let's, let's, let's see what God can do. And just because something supposedly hasn't worked at Salem or Good News or Haciel or Salem Spanish, wherever, doesn't mean it can't work now with the group of people God has assembled now. Okay? But when you say discipleship in Christian realms, a lot of people say, yeah, I hear that a lot, but nobody does it. Some people do do it. You want to know how I know? Because Jesus left with 12, and there's a bunch of us here all over the world. So it does work. Somebody did it. Somebody did it. And if you haven't done it yet, then it's time, to, it's time for us to do that and learn how to do that. Okay? So God can change situations. I have this little thing in our office that says dream, right? So we can have big dreams, you know? Uh, I was a little kid that grew up, grew up in the hood in the ghetto. Every time the teacher and the principal got on the intercom, they would say crazy things like, if you guys work hard, you could survive. Like, oh, thank you. I'm glad I get to, I get to just be alive. Thank you for the high expectation, right? But some of you all, some of us, when we come into church, very low expectations. But we want to raise that. We want to raise that. And prayer does that where you start to think like God thinks. And see that impossible things or seemingly impossible things can happen. Let's look at the last two verses of chapter 6. It says, um, think about Nehemiah still had to deal with the people. And the people were connected with Tobiah. He was so much intertwined because of this intermarriage and things like that, that they vouched for him. So even with all the stuff Nehemiah is doing, do you notice what some of the people are saying? Tobiah's a good guy. Even though on the slide, he's getting all these different bad letters and getting all these threats and all these bad things that are happening and this trash talk. But the people still think that this Tobiah guy is okay. And what does Nehemiah do with that? He realizes that he just has to focus on what God has him to do. And I think a lot of us, when we're doing things, sometimes we hear a talk and it can really bring us down. But Nehemiah just kind of throws that back to God. You see, they had binding agreements with Tobiah. There was marriage dealing with Tobiah. So he still had heavy influence. And they're even telling Nehemiah, hey, you should work with this person. And he's just like, man, he's, you know, they just, don't, they just don't really know what's going on. And I want to let you all know that being a person that was going to this church for seven, seven plus years and now being the pastor of the church, there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, that just don't get brought up. Because we don't brag much. But what I want you to know is that God is doing things all the time in, in, our, in our church, in these, in these spaces, in our individual lives. So just believe that. Okay? We're going to jump into chapter 7 for a little piece because we th- I think, and uh, Caleb was uh, talking to me as well, we think it's important to kind of see what, what Nehemiah is doing here. Okay, remember the wall is built. But let's look at verses 1 through 4. That's all we're going to get into there. It says, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, 
And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So a lot of times when there's a big victory and renewal, the people can just rest. They just like, oh, it's done. But oftentimes we need to understand that renewal is an ongoing process. So even though these walls are built, did you guys hear something that sounded kind of sad in it? Look at the last part. It says, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. And the houses, and no houses, have been rebuilt. So there's still some work to be done. Right? And I think that a lot of times when a big victory comes, we all just kind of take a collective side. But there's still more work to be done. So the wall is up. But there's still more to the renewal. If you think about what are some of the things that Nehemiah did that we see, what are some of those things? He appointed other leaders, and he did so by putting much consideration into their faithfulness and relationship to God. Do you see where he talks about Hananiah? The way he, he talked about him, he says he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So a lot of times the most gifted person isn't necessarily set up for that job. Sometimes it's the person that's most connected with God that gets that job because they're going to be used by God. There are plenty more people gifted, but because of their relationship with God being shaky and shady, God does not appoint them to certain positions. You know, sometimes it's a work ethic thing. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's a pride issue. But we see that Nehemiah is looking at the heart when he's thinking about who to put in different positions. You guys notice they put Rachel and Rachel's up there. They put singers up there. They put Levites. You got gatekeepers. So they're still being proactive in guarding. And they're deciding, oh, open it up when the sun's out. So they're only opening up the gates for a certain amount of time so that they're able to still protect what's going on. And you look at verses 3 and 4, we see Nehemiah setting up systems to ensure security for the people. So you got this big victory, but how do you set up continuity that it keeps going? And so we see that like in chapter 7, which we're not going to preach through because it just has a big list of names. Obviously, it's important because God put those names there. But he starts to take a census. He starts to look at look again and inspect to see what's the situation inside the wall now so that he can make decisions to continue and, and form continuity with this renewal. So Nehemiah goes back to the practice of analyzing the situation. Jaden, if you can move the next slide, the next one after that. This is something that's going to come out in the note this week, okay? This is called a Google form. I'll be sending it by email. If you are not on the email, then uh, feel free to email me at carlos at goodnewsshy.org. I can just give that to you. Every week I send out a weekly note from the pastor. If you're not on there, if you email me, then I can, uh, I can get you on there. But I can just e- email this directly to you. What we want to do is, based on our mission statement, we want to see where we are as a church. So everybody kind of fill it out. It'll, it'll take about seven minutes. It's just an inventory. So when, when, you, when you take this inventory, it gives us some data. It gives us some information. 
So I put a couple of questions on there that you'll probably see. One of the areas focuses on loving God. The other one focuses on loving others. The other one focuses on making disciples. And then we got some information that we just want to collect. So we're actually thinking that in order to create systems and things that are going to cause continuity and continual growth at Good News Bible Church, we need to have some metrics. We need to do better than, oh, it felt right today. We need to have some numbers. We need to have some things that we can look at and make wise decisions about. So this is our way to kind of see where we kind of are, kind of getting the status of what's going on in your lives. And I can't have that individual conversation with each one of you all. Eventually we'll get there, right? But we just want to kind of have that. So very much like Nehemiah, kind of taking a census of what's going on spiritually in our church so that we as your elders can create systems that best reach where we are so that we can reach the community, right? So we can reach everyone for the Lord. And a lot of you all mentioned, well, what about like the physical stuff? There's nothing like physical about like the church building. I think the church needs this and that. We do have something, for those of you who don't know, called the Coordinated Council. And there's four of us, I sit on it, and there's four of us from the church that sit on this council that meet with four of the Salem Spanish people who talk about the physical properties of the church. So just know that that's always being worked on too. And that is a heavy lift. If you want to pray for leaders of the church, please include those CC leaders, which are uh, Marissa, who's actually the chair, myself, Ugo, and Jeff. So there's big things going on with that too. Okay? So as we close, I just want to bring up two things. First thing I want to think about is in terms of human participation in what God is doing, we want to look at the individual. We want to look at each and every one of you all. And I want you all to think about it. As believers, we must consider our part in spiritual renewal. You have to think about what's your part. It, does, doesn't, it, does, it doesn't just happen automatically. It isn't Jesus just take the wheel. God uses you. He has you do things. So what does that look like? I think the best thing it looks like is this. It's a quote by Spurgeon. It's a very tough quote, but I believe that it really says something to what's going on. Spurgeon says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that you are either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that you have a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that that those who use the pen for Christ are silent. Some of you all communicated in different ways. He's not talking about you, he's saying. And those who help others to use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part well. But I mean this, that anyone who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think of Jesus enough ever to tell another person about him, by mouth, by pen, or track, is an imposter. So if you're coming to church and you're hearing and you're being directed, but you never ever get that missionary lifestyle sacrificial and actually obeying the call, then you basically be an imposter. And if you need help with being an imposter and changing that, you need to come pray. You need to grab a believer and say, you know, I've been, I haven't been really been here. I just come. And it needs to change into some real work in your life and heart. Secondly, we think about the divine purposes of God. It works in individuals, but then it also works in a collective. And so I just want to challenge you all that one of the big things we want to do is we want to pray. We want to be a church that prays collectively. So I know a lot of you all are praying. 
Because since I become pastor at this, I know people are praying for me and life been good, real good. But we want to pray together as well. God blesses that. Let's pray right now. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschai.org.